You're listening to Connect, Connect Africa. Connect Africa on Trans Africa Radio. So if you just joined us, welcome, welcome. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I go by the name of David Black Moon. I got you covered until five o'clock because I can, baby. I can, I can, I can. Anyways, um, uh, I did tell you at 1400, I will have an interview. And uh, we are having an interview at the moment uh, with a beautiful lady called uh, Miss, Miss DJ Prue Love. Her real name is Prudence Matewula. I'm going to just play you this uh, clip. We'll be back right after this and get into the interview. Trans Africa Radio, made in Africa. Absolutely, man. Absolutely made in Africa. And as you know, October is uh, um, mental wa- uh, health, mental health awareness. Oh Lord Jesus, is the English that's not happening in my life. It is a Tuesday, so uh, forgive me for that. October it is uh, um, mental health month awareness in South Africa, and uh, we actually looking at all things mental health. I mean, when not depression, um, bipolar, you know, schizophrenia, we all looking at mental health. And we can say that, you know what I mean, that during the COVID-19 uh, situation and pandemic, uh, a lot of people, especially extroverts, I'm an introvert, so I didn't have a tough time being in the house. But I know a lot of my friends who are extroverts had a very tough time because their expression is outwards. So, you know, they need to go out. They need to be around people, you know, to get that energy and to lift them up. So depression has been a, a huge thing for over the last seven months. And it gives me a great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Her name is uh, Prudence Matewula, a.k.a. DJ Prue Love. And she's been in this radio game for a very long time. I feel like she should be my mentor because I'm just starting. I've got, got three years under my belt. And she started all the way in like 2006. She's been with Metro. She has many accolades, which I feel like if I read, I would feel very disappointed in myself because I'm not um, as achieved as her man. How are you, Prudence? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? I'm good in yourself. I'm absolutely beautiful. And how is your Tuesday uh, afternoon in this cold Johannesburg weather? Huh. It's it's actually um, <laughs> it's a bit tricky because uh, it's springtime, you know, yeah. and uh, you would expect the hot weather. But now that the weather is slightly gloomy, mm-hmm. I've been in bed the whole day. So I'm in my PJs. So I guess it's good and bad at the same time because I love hot weather. But this weather is perfect for me to be indoors in my PJs and in bed. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Nobody j- I wish I was you. Uh, but e-job, e-job. She has to be. <laughs> As we right here at work. So how is the COVID-19? I mean, um, before we get into the nitty-gritty of depression and what we're going to talk about today, um, how was, as a radio DJ um, aside, uh, your personality aside, we're going to focus on your radio DJ and club DJing, how did this whole COVID-19, you know, affect you in a way in terms of financially as well as, you know, spiritually? Because I know a lot of people don't talk about spiritually being affected, but uh, it does happen. How did it affect you? Okay, yeah, no, like, geez, uh, you are so correct because COVID-19, the, lo- the whole lockdown came as a mega surprise. Mm-hmm. I recall that um, when President Cyril Ramaphosa made the announcement on the 16th of March, uh, because it, it was on a Monday when he made mm. the national announcement, and that weekend already I was fully booked, the weekend of the 21st. And even the next weekend, the weekend of the 28th of March, I was already fully booked. Um, I had even gotten uh, deposits paid for some of the gigs. Mm. So imagine being told on a Monday that all your gigs, everything has to come to a 
a standstill. It has to stop immediately. And there wasn't even enough time to prepare. Mm. So that really hit us hard, especially as DJs. But for me personally, it wasn't that hard because I just, I'm that person whereby I believe in the now, enjoying everything for now because tomorrow is not guaranteed. So having been gigging so much uh, throughout the festive season, even uh, at the beginning of the year up to that moment when... um, the president made the announcement. I had been really, really like seriously gigging. I hadn't been sleeping. I was very hectic. I was working hard, Mm. you know, so I just took it as a moment then to just take a break and do a bit of introspection and reflection. Um, Yes, of course, the pocket was hit hard (laughs) because six months, literally six months, Mm. no money whatsoever, like no income from DJing. So, yes, the pocket was hit hard. But the good thing, though, is that, um, as you did mention, that I'm also on radio. Mm -hmm. So I thank God every day that at least I had another job that could keep me going. And it's it's been beautiful because we're working from home. Even Mm -hmm. now, we're working from home. (laughs) So throughout the winter season, uh, pajamas became my daily uh, fashion. (laughs) And yeah, doing a lot of uh, introspection. um, It was a good, yeah, I think for me personally, I needed it. I needed it because, you know, the Joburg lifestyle could be so fast paced. We forget to take care of the spiritual element because everyone is just chasing the money. We're chasing the jobs. It's a red race. So that quiet time was needed um, because it made me realize that um, I've been playing small. (laughs) Maybe people will think, ah, this girl, she's doing so much. But I really felt that um, along the journey, probably also, uh, I really didn't maximize on my potential. True. I was just playing it safe, you know, and it was also me trying to figure out and find out where did it go wrong? When did I become that person that, um, well, uh, yeah, like play small, that doesn't go all out because I've always been that person, even from a young age, when I was still in primary school, mm. I was that kid that did everything, you know, like I did everything. <laughs> all the sports. sports. Singing, choir, ballet, athletics, swimming. I did everything because it goes hand in hand with my career. Absolutely. So I've always been that person that just enjoys life and I, I, I enjoy I enjoy it to the max. So I uh, I don't know what happened to me mm. <laughs> along this journey of adulthood, but the introspection really assisted me to get to a place where I could see where I was going wrong and allowed me the opportunity then to start fixing things. So yes, it was bad on the pocket, but definitely really great on the spiritual element. In the spiritual, I like that. I like that. Introspection is the biggest, you know, form of moving on, especially with yourself. So um, when you, when this COVID-19 hit, did you have like a, maybe I shouldn't have chosen okay, entertainment. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm saying when, when the COVID-19 hit, did you maybe sit down and think, maybe entertainment was not a great idea. Maybe my parents were right. I should have had a steadfast nine-to-five job where, you know, I go in and I clock out. I'm five. to be hearing you now. I'm not sure what happened. Hi, DJ Pilaf, can you hear us? Yes, now I can hear you. I'm sorry, oh. I'm not sure what happened there. 
All right, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming back. I was asking when uh, the pandemic happened and, uh, you know, COVID-19, no more gigs, did you perhaps think maybe my parents were right? This was not the industry for me. This was not the industry that I should have taken. <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was very funny <laughs> because um, I think it was DJ Fresh. Yeah, it was DJ Fresh that posted a meme where uh, the parent is like, you see now, um, if you became a doctor, you would be working. <laughs> but now you chose to become a DJ. Look at you now. <laughs> Look at your life. You just followed the unemployment queue. So, yeah. But, okay, you see, the thing is with me, strange enough, yeah, I wanted to be a doctor growing up. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, things changed along the way. After I saw an accident, I was like, oh, my gosh, I was just yeah, hey? grossed out. So, being a doctor was definitely not something for me. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I've actually worked in the corporate sector. I studied IT, by the way. So mm -hmm. I've worked as an IT developer, an analyst programmer, business analyst, and a project manager. So I do actually have a solid corporate background. Yeah. And so the whole DJing thing, it wasn't really major in terms of the whole pandemic and now my parents saying, yeah, you see now, you see now. <laughs> see your life. Because the good thing is that I still had the radio element of it, you know. Mm. So at least they were okay with the fact that um, I'm staying afloat. Uh, things are not sinking. I think probably if I didn't have the radio element, you, yeah, no, we'd be talking about <laughs> a different story altogether. I, I think, you know, black parents, I think yeah. they definitely would have brought that up. That, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember. You know, passion, this passion of yours. <laughs> Look where it has got you. All right. Um, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the conversation. So um, October is Mental Health Month right here in South Africa. We, we, we're shining a light on awareness. And we talk a lot about depression. And uh, before I get into, you know, going back to 20, 2010, before you found out, what did you think depression was? Growing up and hearing people saying I'm depressed or, you know, hearing the word depression, what did you think the meaning of depression was? And what did you think the per a person who was depressed looked like? Okay, yeah. So, you know how we use the word depression so loosely? Yeah. So, for me, depression was just someone who's sad, you know, someone who's mm. overwhelmed. You know how people just say like, oh, gosh, I'm so depressed. Absolutely. Uh, my paycheck hasn't come through. Oh, I'm so depressed. Mm -hmm. I didn't find the dress that I was looking for in the store. Because we use it loosely. Mm. That that was always my understanding that ah, it's just you being sad, you know, like you being disappointed. And then um, I guess as I grew older, then I started associating it with uh, people that are on the verge of suicide, you know, someone who's about to jump off a bridge because remember like when it started becoming popular and people mm -hmm. were starting to talk about it, especially in the medical field, yeah. you were starting to get a better understanding of what it was. But when it was introduced to people like myself, it was the extreme part where they would be talking about people committing suicide, people jumping mm. off bridges. So then, yeah, it went from me thinking it's just someone who's disappointed or just sad to exceptionally extreme, someone who is about to 
hang themselves or jump off a bridge. So that was my kind of understanding of what depression really was. And even at that time, I didn't know of anyone personally yeah. that had depression. And I remember like even the programs that I used to watch on TV, even some of the presentations that we had um, in school, it was the white people. So they're always showing white people. <laughs> so I kind of thought, okay, I associate depression with, with white, white people. people. So I, and, and again, I mean, like I was saying, I didn't know of any black person that had it. So it just fits. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people uh, do say that, uh, you know, depression is a rich people's problem. It's not a poor yeah. people's problem. And I think that's one of the, the, the bad things about it. So 2010, World Cup in South Africa. I'm sure you were gigging left, right, and center. You go to the psychiatrist and he says, uh, you are being diagnosed with clinical depression. How did you react and how did that feel? And what did you do from there on? Who was the first person you called? Okay, so in 2010, I was still in the corporate sector mm -hmm. uh, with no plans of <laughs> going into uh, radio or the entertainment industry. So what happened is that um, I was actually in a car accident. Ooh, okay. Uh, so basically six months prior to me being hospitalized for depression, I was in a car accident, my very first car accident. It was a hit and run. And I recall just saying to myself, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I need to change my car. I cannot drive a car that's been involved <laughs> in an accident. And it so happened that six months after getting my new car, I got into another car accident, oh my which then took me into hospital where I was then diagnosed with the depression, mm. a clinical depression and stress. So for me, before the actual diagnosis, how I actually described it, I actually used to um, talk to my best friend and I yeah. would tell her like, you know what, my friend, I'm seeing black. Because you, you, th that's the other thing about depression. There is no way of describing it. You know, like, unless you are in it and until you're in that space, it is so difficult to explain. I mean, imagine me who, who's been in that space for 10 years. I still find it very so difficult. difficult to find the right words to explain what mm. exactly it's like. So for me, my best description of where I was because, again, um, just to make it clear, depression is not just psychological. It's also mental. It's spiritual. And emotional. So for me, my best description of where I was at that time before I knew what it was, was that I was seeing black. Yeah. So my friend asked me if <laughs> I was going blind or <laughs> there was a problem with my eyesight. So I told him, like, no, I'm not seeing dark. Like, my, my eyesight is not... Uh, changing i'm not seeing everything as uh being dark i'm seeing black like everything is black i can't even make out what what's happening around mm. me i can't make out anything it's just black everything is just black and um she really didn't understand what <laughs> i was speaking about and mind you with depression you could be around people i mean at that time i was still staying with my parents both my parents with my sisters as well and no one picked it up so um can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm listening. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's written that my mic is, is muted. Okay. Yeah. So I was around people, but I felt lonely. I yeah. felt like I was in this deep, dark hole and there was no way out. And it was just black for me. And also like my soul as well was just black. 
mentally everything was just black like it, it was just the most sorrowful place i had ever been the darkest place ever the most painful place ever and here i was still going to work every single day mm. whilst i'm in this place by the way so i was going to work every single day still performing my daily duties yeah. and daily chores at home but it, it it was the weirdest period ever because it, it really also lo- it felt like an out-of-body experience. Like, I was not me. Yeah. Like, something else had taken over my body, my mind, my soul. And, yeah, it was just a very, very, very tough place to be in. I remember, like, I would pray to God, asking mm. him what in the world is happening to me. Of course, suicidal thoughts were tormenting me on a daily basis. And eventually then when, um, strange enough, I was even um, crying on the day that I had the accident because like it was just so overwhelming. And there was some driver on the road. I think he was drunk. He was moving lanes and then hit the car that was in front of me. So the car in front of me tried to swerve. Then it hit me. Then the car behind me hit hit me from the back. So I was literally sandwiched. And... um, that's when I had the accident and my car was right off. But then I didn't go into hospital. I went to a doctor. My whole back was stiff. Neck was stiff. The whole shebang. They gave me painkillers. They checked if everything was right internally and everything was okay. But then after a couple of days, I was getting worse. And that's when I went to another doctor, my family doctor. Yeah. And then my family doctor said, you know what? I'm going to give you medication, painkillers, everything. But the thing is, because the previous doctor had already given you the painkillers I was going to give you, I needed to come back after two days. Because if you're not better, then we need to do something about it. And indeed, I took the medication for two days and I didn't get better. Mm-hmm. And that's when he then recommended me to go to a, um, a psychologist. Well, I call a psychologist a shrink. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> A shrink is this man okay like how am i going to shrink my back and neck are in pain mm. where does a shrink uh fit into this whole picture and it's and he told me like i really believe you need to go see a shrink that's the only way you'll become better so i went there to see the shrink and um we did an assessment you know just to yeah. assess where i was mentally psychologically And it came out then from that assessment um, that I had clinical depression. And I was so confused because I drove myself there. I was actually driving a courtesy car. Yeah. Like, what do you mean I've got clinical depression? I mean, I came here by myself. No one assisted me. And I'm I'm not about to jump off a bridge or commit suicide. (laughs) So how can I then be that person that has clinical depression? And then the psychologist told me that, yeah, I need to learn more about it. And Mm. he needed to do further assessments. So he needed to admit me into hospital. Uh, So the hospital that I was in had a wellness ward. And the beauty about it is that most of us actually checked ourselves in. In, So you literally admit yourself. You drive yourself there with your bags and then you go into the ward. So that's how then I was hospitalized. It was supposed to be over a weekend. And then the next thing, I was there for like an entire month, 31 days. And I was put on antidepressants for like mm-hmm. 
three months. So you can imagine, like, during the World Cup, I was on antidepressants. And that's how then the whole diagnosis was uh, made because I then had to see um, psychiatrists as mm. well, clinical psychologists, occupational therapists. I was seeing, like, seven doctors a day. Yeesh, yeah, hey? That is a lot. That was... Hectic, hectic, hectic. That was a lot, yeah. man. Before we go into a short break, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, you talked about, you know, seven doctors seeing different kind of doctors and psychiatrists. Would you say, um, as a first-time taker of antidepressants, did it help you? Phew. You know, um, antidepressants, hey, I've got a very... <laughs> <laughs> I've got a controversial approach to it because... Yeah. Even before I was put on antidepressants, someone had, um, it, it was actually a priest, um, had told me about antidepressants that I should not agree to take antidepressants. But it was like a conversation we had prior. Mm. And yeah, he told me like the effect of it and whatnot. But then when I was in hospital, I didn't have a choice. I mean, when you're in hospital, you're like in jail. So yeah. you have to take whatever they give you. I've never uh, taken antidepressants. I didn't know if anyone had taken them. Yeah. So I needed to test out for myself. I needed to find out for myself. And initially, I thought that they were helping me because mm. they numb your emotions, you know. True. So they numb my emotions to a point where I wasn't feeling that emptiness anymore, this, that sorrow where I felt like I wanted to cry every other day. So that was a good part of it. But then the negative part of it is that then they numb all my emotions. I didn't realize that it was everything. So it wasn't only the bad. It, it also the numbed the as good. Well. Meaning that, yeah, I couldn't now laugh. I couldn't get to, uh, you know, like my silly side because mm. I'm like a silly person, you know. I've got this outgoing personality. Unfortunately, now that side was also affected. And I was just in one uh, monotonous mode. And yeah, that really, really affected me because uh, for the longest time, um, I was just unable to snap out of that because even after taking the antidepressants, yeah. that's where I still found myself because the antidepressants take forever to wear off. I, you see, that was the other thing they never told me. They don't tell you that, yes. They don't. They don't no. tell you that. They'll never tell you that it takes forever to wear off. It's just the same way you took it for three months. You're gonna need, you're gonna need another six months to um, let it go. All right, I'm gonna take a short break, and we'll be back with DJ Pru Love, and uh, she's chilling and talking to us about mental depression as well as, uh, um, uh, yeah, man, mental health. It's a very, 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 very hefty topic, as well as a very sensitive in the black community as well as in the African community. So we'll be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> This, this is Trans Africa Radio. Every day, Africa Trans. Absolutely. If you just joined us, um, uh, you are joining into the second round of the show. Uh, I am interviewing DJ Prulove, and uh, we are gearing up to the end of uh, actually the interview because, uh, um, yeah, man, it's 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 a it's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic day to be talking about um, this beautiful, beautiful topic at the moment of time. And I'm going to talk to DJ Prulove, and we're going to continue talking about our conversation for today, which is mental health. Um, before the break, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, so you 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 get 
you get diagnosed, you go back home. How was the support system, um, uh, DJ Prulov? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, perfectly, yes. How was the support system okay. going back home? Well, it was... The, the support system was amazing. I mean, I have the most amazing parents ever. My mom came to hospital almost every day to check up on me. Although, like, yeah, when you're in a wellness ward, they also mm. limit um, visitations because sometimes people that end up in the wellness ward are normally uh, there because of family members, you know, because of people that are close to them. So that's the other thing that they try and limit. They don't want people coming in to visit because those people may be the triggers to whatever it is that you are going through. So whenever um, we were allowed to have visitors, my mom was there. So the support system was really amazing. My sisters also supported me. My father supported me. The, the thing is, like I was saying, within the Black community, especially for our parents who are older, mm -hmm. they, they don't truly grasp the understanding of what depression is. Really is, yeah. You know, it was actually funny when um, I was speaking to my parents and some of the patient's parents that um, they would say, we have jobs, we have cars, we've got food in the fridge. So where does that depression come from? Because <laughs> black parents believe that if you've got food, you've got a roof over your head, you've got a job, then your life is made, you know? Yeah, true. So, those were the type of things that you needed to now sit down with them and explain to them. And sometimes you have to explain it over and over again and use different examples to make mm. them grasp the understanding of it. And also accepting that they may never truly understand what uh, depression is. But the support system from my family has always been uh, exceptional, especially my mom, like, I'm, I've always been the mommy's girl. <laughs> so she was always there, very concerned about me. And for the mere fact that I was in hospital for an entire month, she thought I was dying. <laughs> so what? when I came out, you know, she mm. was checking up on me every two seconds. Like even when I would go out with my friends, literally as we drive off within two minutes she's calling me like where are you are you okay like mom yeah. i just left the house yeah but you must call me after five <laughs> minutes you must call so my mom was constantly checking up on me checking up if i'm i've eaten if i'm okay if i'm happy and this and that and that so yeah the mommy really became the mommy mommy the mommy mommy she man. Let me be. well Wherever I was, mm. whatever I did, my mom was just on my case, making sure that uh, I'm good. So even my friends, my friends did not believe that I, yeah, some of my friends didn't even believe that I had depression because of my personality. And that's the thing again, 90, you wouldn't believe it, 99% of the people that I was in the ward uh, um, with have yeah. exactly the same personality as me. So it's those people that are out there, the entertainers, the good people, the people that are always the life of the party. Don't ever think about them. That are most likely to end up depressed, committing suicide, and having the mental issues. Unfortunately, man. And when you came out, I mean, you had a lot of support going in and coming out. What was the stigma like? Um, as we round off the interview, what was the stigma like you having been in a, an award? I mean, a lot of people go to Vista to check in, you know what I mean? So what was the stigma like going back into work and into the community? People were afraid of me. 
because you, you you know that whole thing when someone goes through uh, an episode yes. or something traumatic, you, you don't know how to approach them. So people started tiptoeing around me. They didn't know what to say. But also I blame obviously the miseducation around um, depression. So they didn't know what to say to me. They didn't want to yeah. upset me. So because they didn't want to upset me, they had to watch their words. And because they had to watch their words, they didn't want to talk much to me. So it was so weird. And it took them time for, for them to then adjust. And when they finally adjusted and I explained to them, yeah, yeah they kind of warmed up. But also, um, some people didn't believe me, by the way. They didn't believe me. They're like, ah, ah, ah this one is lying. <laughs> you are exactly the same as, as before yeah. the whole episode. So how can you say you had depression? And when did you have the depression? Because we've known you, you've always been this cheerful person. You've always been the life of the party. And it was a good thing that also at that time, that's when more people were coming out, celebrities, you know, especially abroad, that were coming out with depression. I remember that one of the guys from um, the group, uh, what's this? One Direction. Uh, why am I forgetting? Yeah, like in the US. Yeah, Malik, uh, Zayn Malik. Mega... Zayn Malik, he yeah, was the depressed so. one, yeah. Yeah, what is this man? Linkin Park, the dude oh, from Linkin Park. Um, yes, yeah, the yeah. one that died, uh, yeah. I remember him, my yes, favorite, the lead singer. Yes, had just bought a new house. Mm -hmm. Yes, had just bought a new house. And it was from a concert, amazing concert. So to all the outsiders, he was living the life. Everything was perfect. Then that same night, he comes back home and commits suicide. And then they say, right, it was depression. Now you see, this is where now people are starting to understand that, oh, wait a minute. So... We've always looked at the outside of it, thinking yeah. that if he's doing that well, there's no way he could be suffering no from way. depression. And, I, and also, I'm sure you've also picked up that there's so many entertainers that are coming out with depression, talking about it. And unfortunately, so many of them come out when it's too late, when they're already dead. Then you find out that, no, this person was suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. So again... It's, it's like a trend in terms of the personality. Like I, I mentioned to you that the people I was in the ward with, uh, we have very similar personalities. We are entertainers by, yeah, like natural. Natural entertainers. entertainers. So you can imagine that um, trying to make people understand that we may be public successes, but in our private space, we it's a feel whole different story. like failures. Yeah. So don't take it at face value that because you're seeing a person making jokes, laughing, giggling. I mean, there's so many comedians are suffering from depression. I mean, who could have thought that Jim Carrey has depression? Like, Or even, even Robert Williams. What is it? Robbie Williams. I mean, Mrs. Yes. Doubtfire. You know what yeah. I mean? Nobody ever thought that he would go through that. Yeah. You know, people that are making us laugh. Yeah. How, how does the person that make, makes people laugh on a daily basis then go home into this dark space? So it, it's a good thing that more people are coming out because the Absolutely. more people come out, the more people will then get to understand that this thing is, uh, this mental illness is really serious and you cannot take it at face value. But most importantly, the reason I came out is to ensure that people don't feel alone. Absolutely. I felt alone, even though I was surrounded by my family and friends and everyone, because people just didn't understand where I was in that space. So for me, it was so important to come out so that not another person can then commit suicide because they feel they are alone. 
it, it was a difficult uh, step to take, you know, yeah. to come out because I'm a private person. So I didn't want to air my failures because obviously you can't talk about depression without talking about you being a failure. Because yeah. again, that's what depression is. You feel like you're a failure. So Unfortunately. that was my biggest fear that I didn't want to come out and and air my dirty laundry, basically. But it was time. I just felt that it was time. And I'm hoping that me coming out, me talking about my failures will make other people realize that they're not alone and they don't need to take their lives and that um, they can work through it. Although you can never heal from depression, but they definitely can uh, work through it and manage it and live a full life. Absolutely, man. Rounding off the interview, I'm going to ask you a last question, but it's coming It's coming in a pair. Um, one, do you think, DJ Prue, I mean, you've went through a lot and, you know, antidepressants, I mean, your depression was hit hard. Do you think there's enough one done for um, done for depression or mental health in South Africa, whether it is for entertainers, whether it's at schools? I mean, when I was in school, fortunately for us, our school had a psychologist. So if you were going through the teenage, whatever you're going through, you had someone to go to who you knew will go with your secret wherever she's going. But yeah. you growing up in the entertainment industry, talking to other people, do you think enough is being done? And two... Do you have anything planned out, maybe an organization that you might want to create in terms of shining a light and also, you know, raising awareness um, against mental health or towards mental health? Okay, so the to answer the first question, no, definitely not. I, I would say, like, not even much is done, you know, to raise um, awareness around depression, uh, especially in the black community. And that's uh, the, the other reason why I felt it was so important to talk about it, because, you, you know, in a black community, the other things, uh, the other thing that happens is that people link it with uh, witchcraft and all these other elements that have nothing to do with depression. So it's going to take a lot of education and changing mindsets, especially when it comes to the older generation because the older generation simply is not grasping the whole concept of what depression is. Secondly, again, depression is also, um, I'm seeing it that it's actually a generational um, ailment. Remember that as black people, we've been under so much um, oppression. So those are the other things that are now being passed on from one generation to the next. And we never also talk about them. I've always mentioned even, um, in my other spaces, in my professional space, where I've asked, like, where are the tests and studies and psychological examinations of people that went through slavery and people that went through apartheid? Mm. I mean, our parents lived through apartheid. Our grandparents lived through apartheid. Where's the study to show the after effects of that, the emotional and psychological after effects, effects of that. that? They aren't. So you see now... We have a mega problem at our hands, mega problems, because remember that our parents, whatever they went through, they will pass it on to us. Absolutely. Not man. knowing what it is, we don't even have a name for it. Now we have become the angry generation. But why are we angry? How often do we actually sit down and get to the root cause of our anger? Look at what's currently happening with gender-based violence. Why Absolutely. are we so angry? What's happening with them? What's going on? When do we actually get to sit down and talk about these things and the root causes? So, again, when we tackle depression, we can't just mm. tackle it as this 
psychological ailment that's from the sweet by and by. We need to also find the root cause, especially now that it's mushrooming in our community, within the black community. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunately, I feel that not, not, not much is being done in our society, unfortunately, even in our workplaces, even in our industries. It's, I mean, I, I was so shocked that people don't even know that um, there are free hotlines. I mean, the hotlines for SEDEC, the South African Depression and Anxiety uh, Group. People don't know that there is such a group that you can literally take your phone and call them at any given time because it's a 24-hour hotline. Mm. So those are the type of things that we need to start spreading. The news needs to start spreading so that we don't have people that are in spaces where they feel that they just cannot do it anymore and their only uh, escape would be then uh, suicide. And also now with the pandemic, people have lost jobs. It's Absolutely. It's this and that. Who is talking to the emotional part of the person at this moment? Because all we're doing now is finances, finances, economy, finances, finances. So again, I feel that so much, so much needs to be done. Yo, like there's a lot, there's a lot. So in, yeah, so yeah, that's how I feel that no, nothing, we, we're not doing much at all to address depression and all these psychological ailments. And then your second question, um, because I've, I only came out um, recently, I, I, I was only able to speak about it, I think it was in, when was it? August, around August. That was my first time when I spoke about me suffering from depression, like on a bigger scale. I've only hinted here and there but the actual conversation started in August. For me, I'm still taking baby steps because when I did talk about it, that first time I did, it was overwhelming. The response was overwhelming. I didn't even know how to handle it. I'm like, oh my gosh, ah! Because me talking about it, I didn't expect so many people to then tell me about their problems. And then, whew, I, yeah, it was just too much for me. I didn't even know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So I'm still taking baby steps before... I can then go into starting an organization or anything of that sort. But definitely that's something that I really want to do because like I mentioned, nothing much is being done and we really need to do something mega, 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 even from a government. I, I, I really feel that this needs to come from the government. Like it needs Absolutely. to be that big. Yes, not something small like a little organization. No, it mm. really needs to be a major, major uh, department of health sector, you know, and it needs, you know, like exactly how we have like the different departments, you know, Absolutely. and ministries within the government. That's something that actually needs to be looked into mental health because look at what's currently happening with gender-based violence. Why, why are they not looking at the psyche of men? Like what is wrong with men? And nobody's saying what is wrong say, with them. Yeah, like, we can't just say, ah, oh, we live in a violent country, but what, why Why are people violent? What's causing them to be violent? So, as South Africa, we've got mega problems on our hands. So, yeah, I, I really feel that, um, sh uh, yeah, the organization that I would have would have to be, I I'll be looking at doing something in a huge, huge scale, talking about national scale, not something small. 
Absolutely, man. And uh, to everyone who's been listening, I mean, this has been an informative conversation that we had. It's a little bit sad um, that, you know, still things are not being done, you know, into, in a progressive manner. I mean, as you said, we're still talking about Jaden Vance violence. We've never asked anyone, you know what I mean, what they've been through. And as we said, like, we always ask men to, you know, be strong, but we never really talk in terms of that conversation. So if someone wants to continue the conversation with you, I know you're a private person. Where can they find you on the social media streets? Okay, so on social media, all the platforms, that's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's mm -hmm. at DJ Pru Love, spelled DJ, P-R-U-L-U-V. So Pru Love, spelled P-R-U-L-U-V. And I do actually post um, a lot of uh, motivational stuff, mm. uh, inspirational stuff, and also do talk about... Um, depression as well i also recently uploaded uh videos on youtube so you can also uh, search on youtube dj pru love p-r-u-l-u-v just check some of my videos where i'm speaking about depression and as i'm saying i'm only starting as well so i'm hoping that maybe in a year from now i would have achieved at least some form of awareness and we can be able to grow with bringing about awareness because this is something that is very close to my heart. And like I said, I don't, I really, it really breaks my heart to know that there are people that will go to the extreme of committing suicide because yeah. they feel that there's no way out. So just to bring that hope to say, you know what, I heard DJ Prulove, she went through it and she was able to hold on and look at her now. So I too can actually hold on just a bit more and maybe I'll be able to get out of this situation. So that's just me bringing hope to people. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for the conversation. And any other plans? We're can in your next gig. I mean, uh, the doors are open. The throats are open. Where can we find you hey. on your next gig? <laughs> <laughs> hey, level one things, level one things are just working. I mean, yo, it's, it's been great. Thank mm. you. I, I just thank God so much that, yeah, we are back in business this past weekend. Woo! Yeah, I almost died. Like, yeah, the gigging was insane, but mm. I'm not complaining. <laughs> Can never complain. And I also started. Um, well, we can't. We can't complain. I also started a deco business. So mm. yeah, I'm just going all out, taking it all. Like, <laughs> like I said, that I'm maximizing on my potential. So you can check out uh, my social media pages with what I'll be doing, yeah. So I'm going to be all over DJing throughout the country, uh, doing deco all over the country. Yeah. And throughout this month of October, hopefully I'm going to be doing more things. I know next week, Thursday, I confirmed I will be out at the Senka um, uh, department. It's a, mm -hmm. a rehabilitation center of, the, of some sort in Gandhi Square, okay. where I'll be having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a group of um, guys that are part of the rehabilitation center to talk about depression. I'll also be uh, working with some women okay. in uh, Africa. You know, we've got something with, um, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention this, but it's gonna be just a group of women that are coming together to talk about all these different issues that we are facing as women within the African continent. Absolutely. So that's something that I'll be doing towards the end of October. But yeah, all the information, you'll find it on my social media and the gigging. Ah, man, we, we are back in business, back in business. Uh, this weekend, by the way, is actually my birthday. Happy so, birthday! Uh, 
Yay. <laughs> yeah, this Saturday is my birthday. So I just decided that I'm going to have a quiet birthday because you, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. And then the next week I'm out in Limpopo province. I'll be out in Mpumalanga province as well and Joburg. So uh, yeah, I'm going all over. Ah, I'm going to make up for all those <laughs> months we're at home. <laughs> well, I am so glad that you're able to make up and happy birthday. I hope you enjoy your birthday and we'll be seeing you a lot of you very soon. Thank you so much, guys, for the opportunity. Truly, truly, truly appreciated. Such an awesome interview. Thank you. You are amazing. Thank you so much. I will be seeing her again. That was DJ Prulove. You can find her on all the social media streets. And um, and she's doing great work, man. I do um, I believe that um, further on in life, I will probably join her, her you know, organization if she decides to start one. As you guys know, I'm really, really big on her mental health, man. Shout out to her for coming through. And uh, as she said, she's gigging one way or another, left, right, and center. So she's out there man she's out there and guess who just walked in mr wavy is yeah. here he's ready to kick me out but anyways so yeah this is black motion and kyra taking me to the top before wavy takes me out this is trans africa radio What's up, Africa? This is your Victorian Active Blood Moon. Active Blood Moon. Join me every weekday from 2 to 5 Central African time here on Trans Africa Radio. On hashtag Connect Africa. Hashtag Connect Africa. The show that connects you to Africa and Africa to the rest of the world, ba